Welcome to Coming from Left Field, where we have conversations about politics, books, and current events with your host, Greg Gottles and Pat Cummings. In a previous podcast, we hosted two poets who eloquently read their verse, commenting on society and critical issues of our time. We talked of poetry as revolution that challenged our way of thinking. But today we're going to lighten up, put pandemics, politics, and an overheated planet on the back burner, and have the bards provide some lyrical distraction, less preach and more quiche. How about round two with a few poets? Okay, warm greetings, everybody. We have uh, we have a podcast devoted to poetry, round two, and we've uh, we've we picked up a uh, a ringer, uh, Derek Sheffield, who is a good friend and a former student of Kevin Miller, uh, who is um, going to join us, and we're going to talk about poetry. What do you think, everybody? Yeah. Uh, Pat, I just want to add that we have uh, agreed that we're going to try to do lighter stuff, given our times, which uh, really seem to call for that. You know, the, you're, you're right. The last time we went, we fell all over ourselves trying to integrate poetry into the, the theme that Greg and I uh, talk about, which is politics, economics, uh, socialism, uh, you know, the end of the world and so forth. And so we thought we'll have maybe poetry in a, a lighter side this time. How about that? Good. I, I think we should do a little bit of introductions though first. Um, Kevin, uh, you are, we, we introduced you last time, but you are a prolific poet, been a public educator for multiple years, uh, have uh, several books out. Uh, that are books of poetry that are very well received. Uh, a Light That Whispers Morning, that was 1994. Everywhere Was Far, 1998. Home and Away, 2008. And more, the most recent, just published, was Vanish, 2020. Um, tell me about Vanish. It you, did. You wrote a, you wrote a poetry book. And then it vanished because COVID hit. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it's still pending. Further pause. <laughs> That's the power of poetry. Yeah. Careful how you choose your titles. Yeah. Well, I, I've been, you know, loving your poetry and your readings. And uh, I, I worked with you part-time and uh, for a short time, both in Gig Harbor High School and, um, Anyway, you're you're just a wonderful wonderful poet. Uh, there, oh, there's Vanish right there. Thanks, Derek. Derek, let's talk about you. Hey there. I I just am so excited. Uh, you know when when Kevin said, well, maybe we should have Derek on, and I you know I knew you were a good poet, and I've heard you read before, but when I actually went through and googled you, you are as Joe Biden says, the BFD. I mean, you were really quite a remarkable, not only regional poet, but national poet. Uh, you're a professor at Wenatchee Valley, uh, teaching poetry and literature, probably, too. Uh, live on that side of the mountains. You're just, 
I, I, I see here that there are a couple of books that you have through the second skin was 2013. Uh, that was your book of poetry. This one, tell me about this one, Derek. Um, I read this. It's called Dear America. You are a co-editor uh, of this. Tell, tell us about this book. Sure. Um, and, and thanks for, uh, for your interest in that collection. It's, um, it's, it's a pretty special project. In November of 2016, uh, the literary journal for which I am the poetry editor, terrain.org, which is, has always been a journal of the built and natural environment. So you might think of poetry, uh, well, not, not just poetry, but poetry, nonfiction, fiction, and art of place. It, we're we're a, a varied publication. And we evolved in November of 2016 after that presidential election because something needed to come through us. Uh, Cree decor was the was the phrase that was mentioned when people started reading, uh, reading us. Um, letters, essays, poems, cries of the heart, cries of the heart um, in, in that terrible wounding um, that, that we experienced where all these ugly things rose to the surface and um, were worse than then um, maybe many of us had had really understood and more endemic. And so we created this column called Letters to America, uh, which includes Kevin Miller and many other poets and writers and artists and scientists and some politicians and citizens and, and even uh, children uh, needed needed to write to us, and and so we started publishing these uh, in November of 2016, and have kept at it ever since. Uh, it didn't stop uh, after this most recent election because the issues that those letters address have haven't stopped, and so this is a book that's not just about say uh, one person. Um, it's organized in sections, calls to action, extractions, extinctions, and depletions, geographies of exclusion, climate change and science denial, memories and other Americas, ambient violences and misogynies, the power of panic, the power of art, power of satire, geographies of inclusion and renewal. And there is the final section of the book is called Togethering, poems that, uh, bridge poems, you might, uh, you might think, yeah. and essays and letters. Yeah. Well, it's wonderful. I'm, I'm, of course, I'll link to all of your books and uh, I'll, I think I, you did a really good reading with some of the poets, uh, YouTube reading. I'll, I'll link to that too, uh, Derek. Tell me about your most recent, uh, most recent one, Not For Luck. This was just, just published. I haven't read this one yet, but tell me about that one, Derek. 
Um, yeah, this was, uh, uh, yeah, this is my, my second book of poems. So the first one, as you mentioned, Through the Second Skin came out in 2013. Um, so this is 2021. So, you know, about seven years of, of, of work uh, in here. And uh, without the, uh, without the kind people at Michigan State University Press and Will Barrow Books and Mark Doty, it would still be just a file on my computer. But thanks to them, uh, it, it, it is actually a book. And like Kevin, uh, like Kevin's Vanish, you know, these, these two have, have sort of tried to, tried to come out um, during, during the pandemic. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's tough, uh, especially on poets, because books of poems really move through readings, through writing festivals, through classrooms. And, um, you know, we, that, that really mostly hasn't been happening. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so it's been, it's been challenging. Um, at the same time with, with this book and with Dear America, uh, both of them came out during the pandemic. Um, this one came out at the very beginning of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, in uh, uh, of of the first pandemic, we're now in the second pandemic. So yeah. okay, yeah, yeah, of the first pandemic, and uh, yeah. so um, the you know the the blessing, however, is that we were able to have people read. Um, through Zoom events like this one mm -hmm. that we normally wouldn't be able to gather in one place together. You know, right. the geography um, was, wasn't an issue. Right, right. Good. And uh, our third poet, I know you're not supposed to have a favorite, but Janice is uh, my favorite of all of you um, because she's also my sister. And uh, Janice, you, wrote, uh, you were co-author of Woodby Island reflections of people in the land uh, with a, a a couple of a couple of other your friends. You love Woodby Island. It's an artist community. It's just, it's a real, a real gem of the Northwest. And um, tell me a little bit about that. That's just a a, a a tribute to the place where you live and the people. And uh, it was actually uh, an examination of uh, the relationship to Derek's point about the natural world and depletion and all of that. It was examining 15 iconic places on Whidbey Island that everyone knows about uh, from the context of how white people, the settlers and uh, subsequent to them, related to the land. And the three ways are uh, exploitation and destruction. Um, it uh, is protecting them and it is in some instances where possible restoring damage. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And that's basically it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, I was just interested in that dynamic. Uh, you could use analogies about violence and uh, uh, first world uh, politics and all of that if you want, or you can just sort of look at Lagoon Point, which was a thriving uh, marine uh, uh, Delta. And uh, in the 70s, people decided they wanted to be able to moor their big gas guzzling boats in their backyards. And so uh, the builders uh, uh, ran through there and built, uh, built canals, 
destroy the destroy the uh, environment completely. Um, it's impossible, I think, to restore it now. Although people are doing things like paying attention to eel grass and making sure that they're um, trying to, you know, kind of do the best they can. But that's an example. That's an example of things that are gone forever. Um, other places like up around Deception Pass Bridge are pristine. Um, anyway, I won't yeah. go on, but yeah. And Whidbey Island, especially South Whidbey, is full of artists of all stripes and a secret society of previously important people. Right, right. People uh, go there to uh, retire. <laughs> they, uh, they are the smartest people in the room, and there's some nasty kind of politics around that where everyone wants to be in control. So I call them pips, previously oh. important people. Pre <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, and Greg, I think the last time we talked uh, and did our poetry reading, you, you spent a lot of time complaining that you uh, just that the, the poems were so rich and you wanted to have the poems before you. So most of these have been sent to you beforehand. And, and uh, I know that you, you, you process through the written word. And other than this podcast, I'm not sure you, you do much. <laughs> That isn't in the written word. So. I like this one so much; it's the only one I watch. Right, and you just watch it once when you do it. So that's yes, exactly. that's good. Yes, that's exactly. good. So you know, Janice, you sent this to me. Uh, this New York Times article of why poetry is so crucial now uh, was by Trish Harrison Warren, and I really liked that. It 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 was an article that talked about how. Poetry is becoming increasingly popular since 2018. A survey for the National Endowment of Arts says that it has uh, that it has um, in the past five years those who read poetry has doubled. And the gist of the uh, of the article, which I take you know, which I agree with, is that we spend so much time in rancor and in politics and in uh, you know, text, uh, you know, language that's via text and, and online that we don't take the time to stop and really savor the power of how words can emotionally uh, move us and, and I, I and get us to slow down, get us to think, get us to look at language in a more rich, rich way. Um, and we saw that in the, uh, the, inauguration with that young woman, uh, Amanda Gorman, who absolutely hit it out of the park when she did her poetry reading for Joe Biden. And it reminds me of, our, I think we're all old enough. Well, no, Derek, you aren't old enough, but we're all old enough of how powerful when Kennedy was elected and he brought Robert Frost <laughs> to read and, and how, how powerful that was in igniting poetry too. So that's a little bit of a, I think of a intro to where we are. And so let's read, you want to? Okay, so Derek, since you're the new boy in, in the classroom, why don't you start with something? And I think the rules that we have here, it's that you can read whatever you want and you can read other people's poets too. And uh, it doesn't have to be yours, but why don't you start with something? Yes, okay. Well, thank you, Pat. Um, I would like to begin with 
a poem by Lucia Perillo, and this is from her book called Inseminating the Elephant. <laughs> uh, and the poem is called Transcendentalism. Uh, Lucia Perillo lived in uh, the Olympia area. Uh, and I think she was from that uh, the West Side too as well. So she's a, um, one of our great, not only national poets, but a poet of the Evergreen State. Transcendentalism. The professor stabbed his chest with his hands like curled forks before coughing up the question that had dogged him since he first read Emerson. Why am I, I? Like musk oxen, we hunkered while his lecture drifted against us like snow. If we could, we would have turned our backs into the wind. I felt bad about his classes being such a snooze fest, <laughs> though peaceful too. A quiet little interlude from everyone outside rooting up the corpse of literature for being too Caucasian. There was a simple answer to my own question. How come no one loved me stomping on the pedals of my little bicycle? I was insufferable. So too was Emerson, I bet. Though I liked if the red slayer think he slays. The professor drew a giant eyeball to depict the oversoul. Then he read a chapter from his own book. Nap time. <laughs> he didn't care if our heads tipped forward on their stalks. When spring came, he even threw us a picnic in his yard where dogwood bloomed despite a few last dirty bergs of snow. <laughs> He was a wounded animal being chased across the tundra by those wolves, the postmodernists. <laughs> At any moment, you expected to see blood come dripping through his clothes. <laughs> and I am I who never understood <laughs> his question. Though he let me climb to take a seat aboard the wooden scow he'd been building in the shade of 30 odd years. How I ever rode it from his yard into my life remains a mystery. The work is hard because the eyeballs heavy writing in the bow. Well played. I, I, I love the I and I, you know, and uh, the use of I through this and uh, and, and to a certain extent, the, you know, I mean, we've all been there with, with professors that, that hang on to previous periods and have a lot to say, but maybe just are under a constant battle by newer trends and, and philosophies and so forth. Very good, Derek, that's good. You know, this, this reminds me just how performative poetry is. I'm not a good poetry reader. In other words, I read this before and I got very little out of it. But Derek reading it, it opened it up. I mean, it really did. You've got to kind of have a poet sensibility in many cases 
to enjoy this. And I have worked at that. It's not something that I've really made a part of my life, but then to hear it being read by someone who has that sensibility, just like breaks it open, like uh, cracking open a nut. I mean, it just made so much sense. And I, I, I sense there was a parody of the professor, but there's also some self parody in here that I didn't pick up the first time I, I read through it. So thank you, Dad. I really enjoyed, uh, enjoyed that. Good one. And, uh, it, it's, I guess the word among intellectuals is it's amusing. It's an amusing poem, but I thought it was more than just amusing. It was really, really fascinating. So thanks again. Yeah, that was a good choice. It reminds me of that old uh, saying about tragedy is easy, comedy is hard. <laughs> yeah. it's, um, pretty, I think it's easier to write a kind of a ponderous um, screed uh, than to have that touch, uh, that, that uh, transition where she says he starts reading from his book, Nap Time. Uh, <laughs> it's so wonderful. And the, you know, the Caucasian, what was that, the, you know, the you know, the whole complaint about uh, older classics are too white. And, you know, and here we have Emerson being just sort of <laughs> pushed away. Anyway, that this was, uh, it was good on a lot of layers. All right, top that, Kevin, what do you have? Well, <laughs> first I'd like to thank Derek for bringing Lucia back into it. I, I have, I saw her read many, many times in Olympia and she was a treasure. Um, you know, I'm going to break all the rules again because I, um, I'm going to read something that I didn't send, and Gray's going to be pissed. But that's I'd be irritated. <laughs> I'm going to apologize. But but this is a poem. Uh, when I think back of poems that saved my bacon um, as a teacher, and I always wanted kids to find a way into poetry, and I have to pay tribute to David Lee, uh, who wrote these. Uh, many books of poetry, but this is probably was one of the first It's called the Porcine Canticles. And uh, David is a Milton scholar, among other things. And uh, but his uh, ability to bring poetry to to life and to everyone, I think it was is wonderful. And so I, I just can't read a light poem uh, without this poem because I used it so many times and I loved it so much. I can't do it justice like he did, but I'll give it my best. And it's a conversation between a couple of pig farmers and one of their one of the pig farmers' wives. So it's it's dialogue. And it's it's very simple. You don't need to really see it on the page. Uh, and you can David Lee can you can Google him. He, there are several performances that he has done on film. Anyway, enough. It's called Race Hogs. John calls and says, Dave, when I say hello, and I say, hello, John. And he says, come down, Dave. You got to see what I got. I say, fine, I'll be right there. And he says, bring Jan too. I'll show her. And I said, I will. So Jan and I got in the car to see what John bought. <laughs> John bought four hogs starved half to death, bones out everywhere, snouts sharp enough to root pine trees and the longest damn lathes I've seen. What do you think, he says, and I don't say anything. So he says, I says, what do you think? And I say, them's pretty good looking race hogs, John. <laughs> and he says, what? And I tell him, 
I heard about a place in Japan or California, because he's never been there, where they have a trap and raise hogs on Tuesday nights. And he says, do they pay much? And I says, yes, or so I heard maybe a hundred to win. And he says, God damn it. I say, those hogs ought to be good with them long legs and skinny bodies. And he says, God damn. Jan's walked off. So I go to find her, but she's mad and says, I ought not to do that. And I say, oh, I was just bullshitting. But when we come back, John's standing by the fence, throwing little pieces of feed all around the pen, making the hogs hurry from one place to the next. And when I get up close, he's smiling and I can hear him whisper while he throws the feed. Run, you skinny fuckers, run. <laughs> there you go. Oh my gosh. He's a treasure. Yeah, that's that poetry. Is, that's that's, uh, that's stand-up poetry. Yeah. That's really nicely read. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank yeah. Good. Oh, David. That's is that so poet, poet still around? Oh yeah, David Lee's still around. He does wonderful things. He, you know, you know, he doesn't. He he's beyond uh, the porcine canticles now. But yeah, he was a poet laureate of Utah taught at Southern Utah State University for a long time. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Good. I mean, and, and you have a Milton scholar writing yeah. about hogs. Uh, and, and you know, it's, it's funny, um, but as with that poem, as with other pieces of his work, uh, and I know him uh, from thanks to Kevin Miller and being a student in Kevin's class and have been reading him ever since. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he writes about these people and, and you don't, I never had the feeling like he's making fun of, of them, yeah. his neighbors yeah. and stuff. I mean, it's, it's more just like, uh, you know, marvelous bits of life um, that, that this Milton scholar is, is bringing to our attention. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. With respect, yeah, he has a, a a brilliant way with dialogue. I mean, there that's that's also really. I always think about Elmore Leonard and his swingy, jazzy dialogue, and um, this this guy gets it. Yeah. It's not theoretical; it's actually spoken. Yeah, yeah. Janice, what say you? Uh, well, what I want to say is, I am a, a beginning poet, unlike um, Kevin and Derek and uh, working hard at it. Don't know where I am with it, um, honestly, and uh, will not send the written version of these, um, Greg, I'm sorry, but uh, because they're actually still kind of in progress. But I went through uh, it looking for the lighter poems. And um, so I think I'll, I'll just read this one. Um, And without too much of an introduction, I think it's self-explanatory. Title is Patriarch's Birthday Party, Nine Days Away Blues. RSVPs rolling in. Yes, let me know what I can bring. Warning sirens start to wail in my head. Too many people for this small house. Complicated food for designer diets 
babies, toddlers, new boyfriends, people on their phones, chaos, then thankless cleanup. I dread superficial chat, noise, sarcastic cards to recycle tomorrow, guest of honor checked out, craving his din and remote. Husband, father, grandfather, great-grandfather, swirling in flotsam begun in that hot rod backseat after the high school football game. Everybody is coming because he's turning 80. How many more could there be? They don't see him that often. When all this started, I asked him, what's the vibe you want? He said he didn't understand the question. Then he said, short. I didn't ask what kind of cake. <laughs> oh. I think we've all been there, haven't we? Yeah. Not unless you're a woman. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Checking out with the din and the remote. Uh, <laughs> short. Oh, that was wonderful. Janice, I haven't, I haven't heard that one before. Is that new? Uh, well, I've got a whole bunch of stuff that I'm just kind of trying to herd forward like cats. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know what I mean? Kind of pick it up and push it forward a little bit. Yeah. Well, I'm going to I want to put a vote in for keeping that last line right where it's at. I I think that's just marvelous. Yeah. And and you mentioned how good the dialogue is in David Lee's poem, but uh, I would also say that um, the dialogue in your poem is is uh, quite marvelous as well. Um, well, thank and, you. And then too, yeah, it got me thinking. Um, we just hosted some people over here uh, last week for a, a little outdoor uh, meal, um, uh, and um, just a, another family and good friend of my my daughter's and yeah it's a totally different thing these days um hosting people for a meal i don't recall anything from my childhood about you know what dietary needs you know what i mean you have to I go don't. through this it's almost like you have to sign a waiver you know uh, yeah. yeah yeah i know we have fun at our thanksgiving party i, I put little signs on everything gluten-free turkey you know, put, you know, yeah it's it's bad so <laughs> There. It's, uh, it's just oh. such a, for me such a sign of how narcissistic um, we're getting. I think. Indeed. Yeah. So yeah. Eric. Okay, so this here is a poem from Not for Luck, uh, which is a poem that, it. I mean, it, it. The subtitle could be Not for Luck: Daughters and Other Wild Things. Um, and those are really the two main concerns of the book, uh, paying, paying heed to these daughters growing up before, uh, before me, before the speaker, and, uh, and what, what it is that exactly means, and, and, um, and the more than human world that uh, they often intersect with. So um, this is a little poem that I thought of to read, maybe it's like a pun on, you could think of it. We, we said we were gonna read some light verse. So here, here's a, a light verse. 
Um, and it's got one of those titles that spills right into the poem. For those who would see the swift and ceaseless sprinkler whirling and flinging its bright globes drop by drop has filled a blue bowl left out on the lawn. The little pool formed by that embrace never stops breaking and regathering. Winks of calm coming between bouts of splattering. And in the way the pool accepts each troubling drop so it becomes the surface that in the next instant shatters at the next and so on. This is all also clearly a matter of light, splashed and light scattered in all directions for anyone who happens to be watching. Mm. That's lovely. You have two, you're rich as, as um, Greg Brown has in one of his lyrics, I'm rich with daughters. You're rich with daughters, right? Yeah. I am a man who's rich in daughters. Rich yes, in daughters. In, in daughters. And uh, yeah, I love that Greg Brown. Kevin and I have been listening to Greg Brown forever. Uh, and that's kind of, that's probably a Kevin Miller poem right there because one of the smartest things I ever heard about Kevin told a, a group of my students um, actually just last year when we were reading his uh, book as a textbook in my poetry class and he visited us through Zoom. And, and one of the students said, hey, how do, you, um, how do you go about writing poems? And Kevin said, by never sitting down to write a poem. And um, so that, like that poem right there, that just came from one day of just sitting and looking out the window to, to see what I could see, you know, uh, as I was sort of futzing around, cleaning the office, writing a letter, you know, making a, 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 a CD or something. And, and, uh, and like, oh, okay, just, yeah, there you go. Um, you know, uh, they'll come, they'll, in other, in other words, sort of like sometimes the way to, the best way to see a star is to look to the side. Mm. You know, where you, you, you can see by, by not being too direct about it. Right, right, right. In contrast, the, uh, the, the agony of having a great idea for a poem that you cannot breathe life into, <laughs> no matter how hard you try. And I've got one. It is my love and fascination for little boys who wear, without irony, Superman capes. <laughs> There's a period where they can do it legitimately in front of their hearts. And I have probably tried to write that poem 20 times. Mm -hmm. And it is just elusive. Anyway, that I don't know if you have things that you love to write and you just can't kind of do the CPR on them. <laughs> yeah, I think you're talking to some soulmates here with that well how did what how long did it take uh, how many rewrites were there of alleluia with uh, leonard cohen i think he just rewrote that over and over and over <laughs> it just 
I mean, it was years. Yeah, it was a long <laughs> before he finally said, "Okay, all right, this is this is this will this will do." So that was great, Mr. Miller. Well, it's tough to follow that. Uh, Derek's uh, sprinkler uh, and blue bowl are just they just resonate uh, and. Uh, the the daughter book is uh is pretty special um tough to deal with, with in terms of trying to top anything there i'm gonna go with something that not having anything to say and not do anything uh, i'll read one of mine and it, this is a someone my friend roland said that when covid struck now everybody else was going to live like me because i don't really do much I, I go to the post office the grocery store and i walk the dog and my wife and i converse so this is taken from a, uh, that so it's titled uh, this one I I printed up Greg so <laughs> it's after hearing bird note on the song sparrows double scratch and bird note is a radio show about birds the odd shuffle I tried to pass off as dance needed wings or a voice that said spring in spite of this wintry face Envy and appreciation managed to a two-step akin to clogging this quick kick trick in search of food pushes me to reconsider my moves in the wine aisle. I fear others will think I am falling or a few tipples over the limit. So I fix my moves from behind the cart, the shopping man's walker. My choreography assists these three spinning wheels my one hand move allows the right arm raised with a dove-like hand extended. Think synchronized swimmer in Carhartts, no rubber hat. Some days I take the show outside. The open air provides a narrow tie to Sparrow. I trade the cart for a dog. I use the leather tether to curl, twist like aerial silk, wind, unwind my dog tied trick. With its unpredictable timing, the stoop, scoop with the bag, loose hand, the difficulty increased by the dog's desire to stand clear of her nincompoop who makes a show of each new go. Bird legs or not, the dog knows her two-legger will be the exception to dead can dance. <laughs> yeah, it's, well. it's the simple things in life. Yeah, there is not much else happening. <laughs> yeah, isn't that amazing? Uh, uh, for um, you know, uh, those of us, eighty percent of us that are retired, how full and and organized and structured and predictable <laughs> your day gets. And yet, I, I don't think it's necessarily filled with despair. I, I find it I find it nice, you know. Yeah. The you know the, the little little things that I do, the shopping and so forth. Good. And I've seen you periodically in the woods with your dog, so I know this is true. <laughs> it's uh, kind of Walter Mitty like in that uh, the, the common, the everyday, the buying a wine at the uh, store or walking the dog get some party with a lot of meaning with a lot of uh, an overlay of, of things that are going on in, 
in, in the mind. And uh, I, I thought that was very, very interesting. Yeah. But again, it benefits. I have to take back what I said the last time. It benefits from the, the reading, the performative aspect of it really kind of cracks open the shell for me. Uh, so I'm learning something about poetry and how best it's appreciated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And one of the, you know, uh, younger readers might read something like that or poem by William Stafford or others and think, well, you know, hey, how's that poetry? He's just saying what he's doing there. And, and um, that's the beautiful thing about it. Or even, you know, even uh, David Lee's poem there. It's uh, what we call an accessible poem. It lets you in. Um, but then as you read it again, you hear it and uh, you appreciate the, uh, the craft that has gone into the poem. And the word music was really popping for me there as Kevin was reading it. Um, there was some lovely internal rhymes like uh, uh, tether and um, leather. Uh, I think it was sparrow and narrow um, and, uh, and elsewhere. Um, and of course, that, uh, that fantastic, the, the, the card is the shopping man's walker. <laughs> yeah, and I will have you know that when I woke today and uh, I put on a, a nice polo shirt, this is like the first time in two weeks <laughs> I haven't had my car hearts on. I every day just drives Paula crazy. She knew, some, <laughs> she knew something was up when I didn't come down with my car heart with coffee stains on the front. So there we go. Janice. Um, Kevin, what I, I love about that poem, I mean, many things, but um, uh, I think if you live long enough, uh, you have to sort of be chagrined about things you thought earlier in your <laughs> life uh, or go, oh shit, you know, there I am. But uh, I do well remember uh, looking at people of our age, not so much Derek, but our age <laughs> and thinking, what do they do all day? What do they even think about? You know, why, why don't they get better clothes? Um, so um, the insight into an active mind, I, I think is wonderful. It's like you little whippersnappers, this is what I think. Yeah. All right, Janice, what do you say? Uh, I say I was at a Chinese restaurant uh, in a, a year, which I can't remember, but you know, on the menus, how it says the year of the boar and the year of the horse, and you always find your birthday. And uh, I was struck by the year of the monkey. And I went home and wrote this, and I don't think I've changed a word. It's just ridiculous. Uh, the idea of a year of the monkey just amused me. So it's called year of the monkey. If this year goes as it is named, it will alarm and annoy. Millions of little red fezzes falling on sidewalks and porches, beady eyes searching for ways to cause havoc, setting bad examples for children. We will be humbled by their agility, bemused by tiny hands so like our own, guilty about how we treat animals. Public health officials were well warned of poop parasites and other perils. Drivers will scan now, not just for texting hipsters, but for wildness out of the blue, furry hitchhikers on their car hoods, snacks 
snatched at drive-throughs. Pundits will ponder at year's end. Did we fully embrace the astrological energy? Are fezes compostable? Planet <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh. of the Apes. Yeah. Oh God. I love the fez there. You 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 got a lot of mileage out of just a, a simple little news story that today this is the year of the monkey. <laughs> well, to Derek's point earlier, you you look around and then you just write what what happens. Right, right, right. Fun with that. Yeah. Good. I want to I want to put another uh, vote in for that ending too. I don't know if you if you go on and tinker with it. Uh, once again, I think you really nailed it on that ending. Um, that's one of the things that, you know, beginnings and endings are hard, right? And um, a lot of times I find myself wanting to sort of drive a point home instead of um, ending on an image, instead of trying to tell my reader what they should take away from this. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think beginnings, beginnings are really hard. You tend to kind of want to, at least I find myself kind of wanting to go up, you know, the ramp, ramp it up a little bit before I actually get to what the poem is. And I, I can often take out a first stanza and it's just fine. <laughs> right. No, I've, yeah. just, I've, just, I've just messed around, you know, not, not getting to it. Yeah. I think that's that's pretty common um, in my experience and in talking to others as well. And that speaks to the uh, the strange thing about writing is that, you know, you can't get there without having, you know, you just need to start doing it. And, and then, um, you know, writers are people who write, uh, some someone once said, and, um, you know, it's like, how how can I how do I know what I think until I read what I've written? I mean, you, you have to take those steps, um, even though that ramp will be taken out later, you have to create it in order to get to the real beginning. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember, I remember several times sitting down with people, you know, going around a bunch of poems and I think it was Joe Green used to always just matter of factly take his pen and go, this, this is, this is where the poem starts right here. And, you know, you just be three quarters of the way down the page and he would just to hell with all that other stuff. And you'd be right about 90% of the time about, you know, you just, now you're started. This is where it begins. Yeah. Yeah. And that reminds me of you, Greg, with your writing. I'm just constantly amazed at how prolific you are with your blog and ML today. And, um, you know, you can tell that you, think lucidly and clearly through written language with through written language you know that you 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 know when when you're when you're done it's succinct and it's well organized because i'll talk to you about like afghanistan and different things and we'll ramble about but when you actually take time to focus on what you're saying it's it's quite obvious to me that your writing is your highest form of persuasion and thinking. I don't know. What do you think? Am I correct? I mean, all, all, all the poets here are, are saying something I think that's profound, and that is that writing is, writing poetry or writing prose, whatever, is hard work. And you have to do it. And you have to do it 
and force yourself to do it, consistently work at it, and voila, you get better at it. I mean, isn't it interesting that like any other thing that you take on, the more you do it, the harder you work at it, the more effort you put in, the better you get. So that's something that, you know, when I was younger, I didn't appreciate. I thought writing was sort of inspirational, you know, the good writers just sit down and it just flowed and you know, <laughs> ideas just popped into their heads and they're just smarter than the rest of us. And, and uh, I've learned that really you got to work real hard and, and you get better. You'll get better. Yeah. Yeah. I always love that uh, thing about the danger of writing is that we all fall in love with our words and um, it's like killing, it's like when you uh, take your kids for their birthday picture and you get all the proofs back and it's almost impossible to throw one away um, and pick the one, the right one. Um, so, yeah. There's a poem there, Janice. Here's a question for the poet. Don't, I, don't want, I don't want you, you two to be stealing that, that idea. That's <laughs> yeah. you know. I have a question for the poets. Uh, uh, do you do a lot of rewriting? Because one of the things I do with problems, oh, no. I, I, I start something and I write maybe two, 300 words. Then I put it aside. The next day I start all over again. I read through it and I, oh, this doesn't, this is not the way I wanted to say that. And, and, and I'm constantly fixing and fixing and fixing. My, my question is with poetry, with your poetry, how do, how do you approach it? And how do you organize your work? Well, editing for me is is the bulk of the work, you know. You, you, you and it's and it's in a different uh, it's a different part of the process, but it's a, a crucial part of the process. And then the the one thing I'll say that I, there's a an old James Dickey quote that uh, you work out the worked on quality, so you not only work on it, but you work it so it sounds like it just came off the tip of your tongue. And that's not easy to do. So you make it seem like it was effortless, but usually it's anything but effortless. So yeah. So yeah, I would say rewrite. Yeah, I play a lot. guitar, I can relate to that. So yeah, but you can also beat the life out of something. Um, I've 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 killed work by overworking it and the, that idea I mentioned earlier about the little boys in their Superman capes. I've killed that many times. It just, <laughs> it just loses, it just loses its heartbeat. So there's a, a real, I'm, Greg, I'm sure you know this too. You can, you can just edit something until it dwindles. Yeah. You suck the life out of it. Yeah. 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 Derek. Yeah. Your process sounds really familiar, Greg. And, um, Janice, uh, you might, it, um, it may be that you'll be able to write that poem in a couple years. Um, I mean, that's the way it's been with me. There, there are poems that I couldn't write 20 years ago that have come around um, and I wasn't even conscious about it, but I, but that poem was still working its way through me and it, and it comes through and I finally feel like I got it right, this is the best I can do. And then I realized, oh, this is another version of that poem I wrote in 1990. Hmm. And Good this point. is the this is the real thing. Um, this is the, the finished one. Hmm. Yeah. In the crock pot. 
Ah, yeah. Oh, and I wanted to say too about your great analogy with the children's pic pictures that uh, I I'm such a I'm such a wimp that even you know with this with the smartphones now and you take a bunch of pictures and then you go through and I mean yeah you take ten for one now right. And right. then there's always the process of going through and deleting. And, and I, I even have a hard time with that. What a, what a sucker. Yeah. Um, but, you know, uh, a great poet that uh, Kevin and I know and admire, Nance Van Winkle. Um, I think Nance wrote, had some really lovely words to say about one, one or two of your books, Kevin. Uh, Nance uh, tells her, her uh, oh yeah, she's uh, on the back of, vanish um uh and she um she tells her students um oh, you've wow. got to kill your children you've <laughs> got to kill your children it's like whoa whoa woo well how about we just how about we just set them over here let's put them in the display pen for now and <laughs> give them a time out yeah I, there's actually, as a psychologist, there's a saying, I don't know if it was Anna Freud, but said the exact same thing. The task of adolescence is killing your children. You know, that you have to, you have to let them go. You have to, you know, you, you have to quit parenting. You have to, and she used that term, killing your children. So there you go. Yeah. All right, Derek, what's, what's next for you? So this is a poem by Dennis Held from his uh, recent book called Not Me Exactly. Okay. And Dennis is a fantastic writer and editor who is uh, in Spokane. Um, I would encourage listeners to track down his essay called What I'll Miss, that's in terrain.org at some point. Um, I wouldn't call it light verse, um, mm -hmm. though there, there are some, some lighter moments in it, uh, what I'll miss. Um, but this is, this is just a, he has a lot of little um, sonnet. He, he, in the last decade or so, he's really um, been intrigued by the sonnet form and has, and has been uh, messy and, and like he's probably written I don't know 50 or 70 sonnets now um, in in which he's he's playing around in that little that little box um, and this is one such poem it's called Sans Teeth wait how do you how do you spell it Sans uh, yeah S-A-N-S as in uh, the French word French word for without Sans, oh, okay. Sans teeth. Sans teeth. Sans teeth. Okay. We, oui, we. Oui. They should warn kids about this shit. <laughs> One day you're sitting there, four years old, and suddenly someone's grandma, maybe your own, unself consciously reaches in her mouth and pulls out the inside of her face and calmly stares it down like a stranger in the house with lips collapsed. Then pops the skeletal grin back in, restored among the native tongue and, and tonsils. And nobody says a thing? What's next? Will mom pull the spine out of her back someday 
and give it a good hard shake wouldn't be any more surprising than a dead looking grandma sitting at the table and smiling at me. Oh, yay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's um, another one. I read, I read this one and I got it, but didn't quite get it. But when you read it, Derek, I get it. <laughs> You know, well, well, your your ending is different than the written version, though. You threw me off there. Uh, coming uh, coming back to life is the last uh, phrase there. Yeah, yeah, mm. definitely. But oh, you, you know what? You know what I probably yeah. You know what I probably did. Um, I probably sent you an earlier version, and so that's this is actually the final version that went into the book. I think that oh. was in a. I pulled it from the. A manuscript that he was editing. Oh. Would you read it again? The last, just the last. Would you read it again? And nobody says a oh, thing. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, read from a, and nobody says a thing. Yeah, um, and no, and so, uh, so this is so son, sonnets. You know, have that turn. Uh, typically, it's some somewhere, uh, especially it's especially prominent in the Italian sonnet. Um, and the turn here happens between the first and the second stanza. And nobody says a thing. What's next? Will mom pull the spine out of her back someday and give it a good hard shake? Wouldn't be any more surprising than a dead looking grandma sitting at the table and smiling at me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. And by the way, don't ever try to pull the wool over Greg's eyes again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, you think I don't pay attention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. You think he's uh, just I, sleeping in class. He's not. Yeah. His head coming forward on its stalk. God damn, get it right, Derek. Right. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Yeah. I, yeah, thank, I appreciate that uh, um, attention to detail. Thank you, Greg. <laughs> and and it, I mean, it fits right in because here Dennis was right up into the last minute. You know, yeah. Uh, there's something that happens when your first when your book's about to be published and it's about to go into print, and that's it, right? That's it, baby. There's no going back after this. Yeah. yeah. Or is there? Um, I mean, you know, and so that that changes your relationship with the language. Right. And and smiling at me is a lot better than coming back to life because you get the grand girl smiling well, at me. You know, well, I'm not sure, because just before that, it's the dead looking grandma and then it's coming back to life. And so I kind of I was anticipating that, you know, the dead looking grandma then coming back to life. And so that kind of threw me for a curve when I heard it. Yeah. yeah. That woke me up. <laughs> well, slumbers. And, and, but that's a case in point where the coming back to life is a little more directive, a little more telling the reader what's happening. Yeah. And a smile shows that happening, right? It's an image um, that says, oh, she's back to life now. Yeah. And it pulls the teeth into prominence too. But it, yeah. Yeah. Good. 
That's so great. It is a great poem. There could be so many poems written about they should warn kids about this shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's the, there's your opening line too. I mean, that's just a powerful, powerful opener. Yeah. Just, <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh. Kevin Miller. Okay, I'm going to read uh, Leo Dangle. Uh, oh, another, God. This, another yeah. poem. Uh, I used to live teaching Dangle poems. Dangle poem has a poem called Laughing Backwards. I can't find the damn thing. And I don't, I'd probably have to buy every one of his books to do it. Um, it it's one of those classic poems that I used to read every year. I settled for this one instead, but I, I love Leo Dangle. Uh, he's no longer with us, but uh, he has great poems. He's worth looking into. This is called A Retired Farmer Working as a Greeter at Walmart. The store went up last year outside of town. There was a cornfield where I'm standing now, smiling, saying hello, and handing out ads for plastic purses, towels, and microwaves. The job doesn't pay much, but neither did farming. Pete, my old neighbor, wearing clean overalls, comes in. I say, hey, you lazy fart. I see you're taking a day off to loaf in town. And Pete says, you should talk, getting paid for standing around in an air-conditioned store. While well, we talk about the rain last night, the possibility of early frost, the price of hogs, a dozen customers pass by ungreeted, and I feel uneasy for not doing my job. In one way, it's like farming, spending hours on the tractor with lots of time to daydream. Now... I invent secrets I'd like to tell customers. Every third mineral water bottle is filled with Russian vodka. <laughs> Snakes have been found in the cups of imported braziers, but I only say, hello, how are you? And send them on their way down the aisles, which are nothing like rows of corn. <laughs> very nice, very nice. Yeah, he's a great poet. I, I like that on so many levels. Um, um, it reminds me of the book, I forget who the author was, but it was the two men that did the Oregon Trail, re recreated the Oregon Trail with the mule team. Uh -huh. It's an extraordinary book. And one of them was a newspaper writer than his brother. And as they go from, from uh, Missouri all the way to Oregon, they, you know, they went through the flyover country and they would occasionally come across these towns that were thriving that had, you know, the, the downtown was, was, was vibrant and, and they found that the common element was they were just not right in the demographic where they would build a Walmart. Uh, yeah. And where the Walmart didn't come, they still had hope and community and this is a little bit of that depression there of you know the farmer and you know losing a part of his soul to the mundane <laughs> feature yeah. of the greeter that's kind of what I, I thought of when I read this too so yeah I just thought about the rich inner life of everybody uh-huh 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 yeah yeah, because he talks about uh, on on the tractor that he's he has these romantic fantasies that, uh, and we all know that we all know we've done humdrum things. Our minds go to 
all kinds of things. Uh, when you're my age, nothing very exciting, but when you're younger, lots of exciting things when you're doing the menial task of life. Yeah. Everyday tasks. That's, and that was a nice poem and, and read very nicely too, I thought. Yeah. You have, you know, you have a really good pace. I mean, what I like about your reading is the pace. It, it, there's a little hesitancy here and there that really are, are important. I, I guess you plan it that way. I guess you think about it that way. But uh, it, it works really, really well and effectively with this poem. Yeah, yeah. Janice. Well, I've got one more for you. And uh, I was challenged by a young friend, a young woman friend. Uh, she was talking about the dearth of um, work written, uh, both poetry and fiction, that uh, spoke, in her opinion, honestly about female desire. So she challenged me to write a poem about that. So here it is. This is called Denim. Show me rangy American men in Levi 501s and I'm right back to puberty fever when button flies made me weak in the knees with easy access to secrets and heat. European men in jeans don't do it for me. Uptight, no nonchalance. They don't know how to claim elbow room, scan the horizon, break rules. They walk, not stride. Jeans don't sit right, no swag. Madeleine's for Proust, denim for me. <laughs> when the right combination of long legs and faded jeans comes along, when I see those buttons, boom, summer of love. <laughs> oh. Oh. oh, that is sweet, Jan. <laughs> it lived up to its billing. Yeah, that's good. I just see a big picture of Sam Shepard there. Oh my God, yes. Thank you. Uh -huh. Good call. Good call. Exactly. <laughs> There's something in the air because Janice, just yesterday, my daughter and I were uh, driving into town um, <laughs> to get some groceries and she wanted some kombucha. Uh, and uh Derek, I don't know what that is. What's kombucha? It's not worth it's what you don't want to drink. <laughs> oh, it's don't, a drink. Don't even, it's don't a, even. like liquid kombucha like, or whatever that's like is. vinegar. It's yeah. just it's rot juice, is what it is. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Um it's a it's a craze, you know. And speaking of crazes, she was asking me about fashion um when I was her age. And I was telling her about the button up jeans the button-up levi's and That's i hadn't true. thought about those things in like i don't know 25 years and here That's they are in this poem my god that's marvelous um and i was just i was trying to imagine the way my fingers would work through those buttons getting the fly up you know every time what it i mean what a uh so unpractical you know so um especially if you're 72 of fashion <laughs> yeah and um, yeah, you gotta get done faster than that faster yeah than that. yeah 
but I but I love uh, yeah. <laughs> I love that I love the easy access yeah. uh, there. Yeah. yeah. Well, if you're 72 and you're still wearing button fly jeans, you could probably just leave them unbuttoned. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I think everyone would understand, just like grandma's teeth. Yeah. Well, that's that's really nice of you to say to these old, old coots. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Really thoughtful of you. Guys. Uh, oh gosh, I saw I saw I have to share this with you. Um, my friend Andy Gottlieb sends me, he's on, you know, Twitter and Instagram and all that, and he'll send me the sort of he he, you know, the choice um images or witticisms from those places and one of them was a map of the world and it said it said uh, uh countries with rocket dicks in space and the united states and i think maybe britain were um you know in one color and then um countries with universal he health care and here were all these other <laughs> Uh, countries in, in another co color countries with <laughs> rocket dicks in space countries with universal health care <laughs> i'm always i'm always uh, i i love charts so. <laughs> derek how about you oh okay so uh, this is the last one i have to share with you it's a okay. poem by jan wallace and it's from her book called nothing like the doll you learned on and as it happens it dove, dovetails uh use that term intentionally here it dovetails nicely with janice's uh sexy poem this is ornithology lesson it's an act of desperation the rare mating ritual of the bald eagle pair come together mid-air between mountains. You can barely make them out, you with your Audubon binoculars. The two of them bound beak and feather, claw and wing have taken leave of every other instinct. Mostly what they have forgotten is how to breathe. They drop their wings, their full weight washed clean by the thick, true wash of lust, which brings every creature right out of the wild kingdom into the one common denominator. Aren't you glad, bird watchers, <laughs> you're not a part of that? Those eagles risk it all for the long swallow of sex. And just when you know this must be a suicide pact, just before they hit the earth and scatter like burst pillows, and there you are, binoculars around your ankles as the eagles pick up the next feathering breeze. <laughs> <laughs> oh, burst pillows! What a great image! Oh. I have, I, I have seen that. I have seen that. 
Have you seen that? Have you seen eagles in, in oh, yeah. intertwined? Like I have seen that a couple of times. Yeah, yeah. Sex. Well, there you go. Libido. Wallace is incredible, Derek. She is. That's just a great selection. Uh-huh. Uh, I know. She's got, she has many uh, funnier poems. A lot of them have to do with science, um, like this one does a, a bit. And I just love the kind of the how understated this stodgy character is, you know, you with your Audubon binoculars and, <laughs> and that image with, I, I mean, I, I read this poem like first time, like 25 or 30 years ago when it appeared in Poetry Northwest. And I never forgot that image of the binoculars around <laughs> the ankles. <laughs> like, ah! <laughs> Oh, that's beautiful. It's also such an allusion to the uh, cliche in a lot of sex scenes, uh, yeah. which is you have your pants around your ankles. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Good. Mr. Miller. We're still going? Okay, well, I'm going to, George Bilger, B-I-L-G-E-R-E, this one, this is in place of the one about pregnancy. So it's the same author as I presented, but I, this one's not, it's not typed up. So I'm going to, but I want to use, I wanted to get him in there because if you, you know, when you're looking, when you're having a day and you need to read a poem that kind of gets just centered back into the non-importance of so many wonderful things, this, this Bill Gere is a man that does it. He's about a couple years younger than I am, but he, he seems to be dealing with some of the issues. This is called Sunset Knoll, and I apologize, it's not written down, but I'd rather read this one than that other one of mine. Okay. Sunset Knoll. When the smoking hot barista pushes my toasted bagel across the counter to me without so much as a glance, because all her pistols and stamens and sweet pink petals are on alert, orange alert, for the punker next to me, Armageddon tattooed on his arm. And furthermore, she's even forgotten the cream cheese because I've reached the age when I'm like totally invisible to her. I briefly consider picking up the plate and smashing it through the countertop, sending a rain of glass onto the tea biscuits and cinnamon scones. That'd show her all right. And then I remember my summer as a feeder in that nursing home back in LA, spooning whipped ham into the mouth holes of those bedridden husks of paper mache. How sometimes the old guys would pull out their dentures and throw them across the room just for the hell of it, just to remind me, I'm still here, you little shit. So thanks, I say, and walk back to my table like I needed the cream cheese anyway. <laughs> oh, oh, yes. Oh, yes. That theme showed up a couple of times. Yeah, I was, was yes. kind of, it kind of caught oh, the yes. eagles and the teeth and the... No, it's, that speaks yeah. to my generation and my age. Yeah. yeah. Oh, boy. Janice, are you done? Well, uh, I, I can find one real quick if you want one more about what it's like to live with um, a, a, a cop. Okay. 
All right, why don't you set that up for us? I'm married to a retired cop. I mean, that's the best setup I can do. <laughs> Whose name good. is O Mahoney. Mm -hmm. Irish cop. This, uh, this poem is called Just the Facts. <laughs> Mike's words are coins placed on a counter. Exact change, no more, no less, that's it. Don't tie up the police radio with chatter. Think, then say only the essentials, most in code. Audio command, hear radio, robbery in progress, help the officer. Sparingly, a syllable may be added. Howell Street stressed how well, so nobody goes to how. No time for mistakes. Emotions are beside the point, just chaff whirling into confusion. Less is always more. Crispness makes order, brings backup, defines trouble and pushes it away. Terse and Mojo, longtime partners. His speech aged lean and honed. Two or three words replace hundreds from others whose talk is cheap. He can't sit long near flabby verbiage. Bloviation, pure torture, frickin' TMI. <laughs> I live in this uh, Mike's laconic land. Silence is my second language, practiced every day. How was your day? Okay. What are you thinking? Not much. Do you love me? Yes. <laughs> uh, perfect. Oh, God. Wonderful. What? <laughs> oh, I love Mike. That just got <laughs> But that's right. That really nails it. It's it's the the kind of the silence of the farmer that doesn't say much, but only what they need to, and that's it, and period, and there you go. Mm -hmm. And interesting, just as I read that, I realized there's a stanza I need to ditch. I need to kill my children, kill that child. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just love that opening metaphor, which is, I mean, I feel like. That's him right there, right in the first couple of lines, the change set out on the counter, no more and no less. Yeah, that was good. Um, and it just got me thinking about how, how much work a truly surprising original metaphor can do in, in evocation. Right, right. Well said. Hey, yeah. has this been fun or what? This has been the most fun I've had since um, I got Cataract surgery. <laughs> <laughs> and realize trees have leaves on them and they're not just yeah. all a, 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 you know, a carpet of green. Carpet of green. Oh, this has been a real treat for me too. This really has been. I've been looking forward to this. And, uh, and you know, maybe we'll just add a couple more and just keep at it until we fill the screen with poets. Wouldn't that be fun? Uh, this has been really a, a lot of fun. You know, one thing that I don't say and i i realize that uh, we we screw up with this greg is that 
Uh, for those of you watching this podcast, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and uh, hit a little uh, notification button and you'll be able to get all of our podcasts. And the more subscribers we have, the more like we, we are to become famous like Joe Rogan. Yeah, yeah. Without the, well, I can't say it without the horse stuff, so. The drug, the drug. All right. Okay. Well, listen, I'm going to call this quits and thank you so much. Thanks, everybody. Thank awesome. Thank you all. Bye. Good fun. Pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you.